morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. He is, as the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He is also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, the God-man. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world. And he is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries, their spiritual home, are Christians. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. And just as we do with anyone whom we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the study of his word. Because you can't know the Lord without knowing his mind. And the Bible is his exact thinking. Today's Bible lesson, what's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? What's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? Well, according to God, everything. According to man, not much. Prostitution is sex for hire. And the believers in the church at Corinth did what believers in Christ do today. They engaged in sexual immorality and then told themselves that sinning is okay. They excused their sins. And like us, the Corinthian believers were free thinkers. They were the flower children of their day. And like their 1968 Make Love Not War counterparts, the Corinthian believers were some of the original partakers in the it's all good approach to life. The Bible points out the error of this thinking in Romans chapter 5, verses 20 to 21, continuing as if there is no chapter break, because there isn't in the original languages, to Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. The Mosaic law came in alongside of sin, with the result that the transgression, law-breaking, increases. And that's always what happens when you make a law. Anytime you make a law, what's the first thing people do? They break it. If I tell you not to touch the Snickers bar in my refrigerator, you can have anything in my refrigerator, but don't touch the Snickers bar. The first thing that will be gone is the Snickers bar. And you will be in heaven very quickly because I will stab you. Amen? You touch my Snickers bar, you get stabbed. So that's why I don't make a law about the Snickers bar. All right, so the Mosaic law came in alongside of sin with the result that the transgression, law-breaking, increased, as always happens when the law comes in. But where sin, that is law-breaking, increased, where sin abounded, God's grace abounded in overflow all the more. So what happened? When God saw sin, his grace overflowed to completely flood sin out. Romans 5.21. Why? So that just as in union with Adam, which is the status of all people at physical birth, in union with Adam, so just as in Adam sin reigned in spiritual death, we're born physically alive and spiritually dead, even so grace would reign 
through imputed righteousness to offer eternal life through union with Jesus Christ our Lord. For those of us who are no longer in Adam because we believe in Christ, now we are in Christ. So what have we learned in the first two verses? When you make a law, like the Mosaic law, what happened as a result? A lot of sin. What was God's response to sin? Overflow of grace. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So what shall we believers in Christ say then when we're face to face with these things? Are we to continue sinning because we know that God's grace overflows when we sin? Romans 6, 2. May it never be. Absolutely not. What a preposterous thought. How shall we believers in Christ, which in Greek says, how shall such ones as we, the children of a king, who died to sin as an established fact at the moment of our salvation because our sins were killed at the cross, how shall ones as we still live in sin any longer? That's where the live in sin came when, people, when a man and a woman lived together, by the way. The complete distortion of that particular thing. So how shall we still live in sin any longer as if sin is, st- sin is still our master? And the rhetorical question is answered very easily. That's not what God expects us to do. God does not expect us to take the overflow of grace and then take advantage of it with loose living. It's not what he wants for us. Why? Well, because he just doesn't want us to have any fun. Sinning is not fun. Sinning is a sellout. When you sin, you've sold yourself out. It's not fun. You just tell yourself it's fun because you're looking at it from the human point of view. There are a lot of things that make you feel good. But sin ain't necessarily one of them. And that's what every alcoholic says. Yeah, man, when I drink, get a drink, I get a buzz. Yeah, and then you keep doing it, and then you can't stop doing it. Uh, one little snort of cocaine, that's not going to hurt you. Every junkie started with one little snort of cocaine. My drug of choice used to be candy. Give me some chuckles. <laughs> You eat one one package of chuckles a day, that's fine. Only yesterday, I think I had five (laughs) packages of chuckles. 180 calories at a pop. You can't, you know, sinning and everything that's bad for you from from a food point of view, it's just like Lay's potato chips. Nobody can eat just one. You can't let sin in the door. Because when you let sin in the door, it runs crazy. It's like a cockroach. You let the cockroach in. He finds out there's food. He calls his friends. You can't let them in. So that's what's being said today. Well, so in today's lesson, we'll learn God's viewpoint concerning exactly what's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then. Well, let's start with some music. Oh, did I miss something? No, I didn't miss anything. But ma- oh, no, I didn't. Okay, let's let's hear some music. Get off that slide. <laughs> Confuse me up here. So, how do people treat you when you're at your worst? How do people treat you when you're at your worst? Now, if you're talking about family, that that's the quick answer, right? They treat you whether you're at your best or worst. They treat you horrible. But how do people treat you when you're at your worst, when you're down, when you make mistakes? Because that's 
the time that reflects the character of others. How others treat you when you're down and when you're making mistakes will tell you everything about their character. Well, when we were spiritually dead, living in the consequences of our trespasses and sins, God the Father treated us like royalty. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7 say this, God the Father, being rich in mercy because of his great and unconditional love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead in our transgressions, when we were on the wrong side of a barrier, when we were his enemy, made us spiritually alive together with his son, the Christ. By God the Father's grace, you have been saved. And God the Father raised us believers in Christ up in the resurrection from the dead with Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. That is our position as believers in Christ. We have positional sanctification, and right now this moment, even though it doesn't look like you are, you are seated at the right hand of God the Father with the Lord Jesus Christ positionally. In fact, God the Father placed us in union with Christ. Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the ages to come, God the Father might demonstrate the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward those of us who are in union with Christ Jesus. Well, Lauren Daigle puts this sentiment to music in her song, You Say. in my mind that say I'm not enough Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up Am I more than just the sum of every high and every again just who I am because I need to
Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, as we get to know you more through the study of the Word, you become more and more amazing to us. It becomes more and more apparent how deeply you love us, how patient you are toward us, how attentive you are to us in developing a people for your own possession. Thank you for not holding anything against us. Thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue us from the domain of darkness so that he might transfer us to your kingdom of light. Father, you've placed us in the kingdom of your enemy for our own benefit. Help us to navigate through the rough waters of tribulation caused by our inhabitants here and lead us through your Holy Spirit to the destiny you planned for us in eternity past, one day at a time. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, what's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? What's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? Well, according to God, everything. According to man, not much. And as the Apostle Paul closes out 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he is transitioning from the problems among believers in the church at Corinth to solution recommendations that he will outline in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 through 16. So the first six chapters, the problems. The last 10 chapters, the solutions. And when we get to the solutions portion, and if you want to read ahead, what will cue it for you is he'll say, now concerning, and then he'll bring up the problem that was reported in 1 to 6. So that's where we're headed. But today we're going to finish out chapter 6. And this chapter 6 is a swing chapter. This last part of chapter 6 is a swing portion, and it really will set up a lot of things that we'll see in the future. Now, one of the things that, that I was talking to Pastor Farley about on the way in this morning is that whenever we hear the truth and we feel bad about it, have you ever had that happen where you're studying something and then you go, oh man, you start feeling bad about it? <laughs> All right, 
All right, calm down, Pinocchio. <laughs> oh, my God, his nose is coming this way. When that happens, you know why it happens? It happens because you don't want to leave that thing that you just got told about. See, if you want to leave the thing that you got told about, let's say that you find out that eating chuckles is a sin, right? And then you, st- you, you but you don't think it is because you've talked yourself out of it, right? And then you're eating and say, okay, well, if you're eating chuckles, it's a sin. Now you start pulling out the rubber hose and beating yourself up because you don't want to stop eating chuckles. If you do want to stop eating chuckles, you take it with a grain of salt. Great, I don't want to be doing that. I want to be doing this. So what am I going to feel bad about? I just got educated. I got educated that this is hurting my body and this is the way to do it. So anytime you start feeling mandatorily guilty, for something that the Bible says, just know that that's something you don't want to leave. Now, what's the problem with that? We're not of the world. That's not our home. This is not our home. And the way the world wants us to do things is not the way God wants us to do things. They are like night and day, and, and you want to stay in the night, and you don't want to come over to the day. That's all it means. But... Rest assured that God, the Holy Spirit, will get you over to the other side, even if it's kicking and screaming. You will get dragged over kicking and screaming because you already signed up for the team. And God, the Holy Spirit, is not going to fail. You're not going to be the first Christian that he fails to conform to the image of the Son. So you might as well just surrender. And see, that's what really, really what submission is. When you choose a master, submission is just surrender. Don't fight it. You know, take that into relationships between men and women, the the marriage relationship especially. It's an authority relationship. The man has the authority. He's the president. The woman's the vice president. The only time the woman has problems with being a vice president is when she wants to be the president. And when the woman comes up and becomes the president, it tires her out because she wasn't built for that job. God built her for the vice president job. And that's a hard job, keeping the back door of the relationship closed and supporting the knucklehead that's in the first chair. That's a hard job, right? So it's just, just it's, the more I learn about God, the more brilliant he becomes. It's just so amazing how he set everything up. And what we need to look at is, okay, if he set these things up, and we don't want to do them, why don't we want our lives to work? Why don't we look at the statistics? Six in ten first marriages in the United States fail. Why? Oh, well, he, it wasn't meant to be. B.S. B.S. It's not because it wasn't meant to be. It's because you didn't do the work that's required. This work, the submission relationship work. You know, we got a couple in here that's been married 5,900 years, right? <laughs> right? And I, I, I will never forget, as long as I live, I will never forget what Pat told me. And she said, when my husband decided he wanted to be a farmer, I didn't want to be a farmer's wife. So I had a decision to make. I could be a bitch or I could support my husband. It's that simple. And now 5,900 years later, (laughs) it's that simple. Everything in God's plan is simple. 
So simple, we complicate it. All right, so in this 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the last part, 12 to 20, Paul is talking about sex for hire in this part of the fourth passage of this letter, a passage we're studying verse by verse. And he is not citing specific examples of people in the Corinthian church who are doing this. And he is not giving specific examples of it, people who engage in sex for hire, as he did with incest in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because you remember in chapter 5, he said, this guy is sleeping with his father's wife. Right? So he gave a specific example. There's no specific example here. So what Paul is discussing is an issue that was rampant in the church at Corinth. It was rampant at the time. And it's not the kind of prostitution that you probably think of typically in your mind, which is a man going to a woman who's a prostitute. This was men going to boys who were prostitutes. And as I told you last week, 14 of the 15 first czars, Caesars of Rome, we're either homosexual or bisexual. We think that we have a problem today with homosexuality and, and that. No, this, this is child's play compared to that. It was rampant in the culture. And it's rampant in the year of our Lord 2020 as well. What is it? Lasciviousness, which is lust gone bad. Licentiousness, no restraint. And sex for hire, a sin against our physical bodies. When you buy sex, it's the equivalent of taking a blowtorch and running it up and down your body. It's a sin against your body. And that is not, quite simply stated, that is not what God would prefer for you. Now, what's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? Or what's wrong with hiring a gigolo? a man who is paid for sexual attention by a woman. I was talking to some friends about this this week. They were telling me, you know, they were asking me, what are you, what are you teaching about this week? I said, hoes. <laughs> they, they said, hoes, what, is it gardening? You're talking about gardening? Yeah, I got white friends, you know. So, <laughs> no, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about gardening. I'm talking about prostitution. Oh, yeah, every one of them to a person said that that is a man buying sex from women. You think that's all there is? You better go over to Scottsdale. Some of those rich ladies over in Scottsdale. Right? It happens the opposite way, too. Women do buy men for sex for hire. So, But women get off the, the hook for sexual immorality a lot of times in today's culture. They did not get off the hook in the previous culture, and you know that we've, I've told you the story a lot of times where the Pharisees brought this woman out into the courtyard and says, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. What do you say, Jesus Christ? And the first thing I said is, where's the guy? Why wasn't the guy there? I'll tell you why he wasn't there, because he was a Pharisee. The very hypocrites who were accusing her as one of their buddies. That's why. See? So back then... The woman was on the hook a lot. Today, not so much. That always, all, always seems to hide in the background a little bit. But if you think of visiting a prostitute, do you think only of men? You shouldn't. 
actually in heterosexual sex for hire. Women are involved as well, but we just don't hear about it. Well, what's wrong with sex for hire? What's wrong with premarital sex? What's wrong with adultery? According to God, everything. According to us, not much. You know why? Because our standards have been obliterated. Yet, we don't look at the statistics. Six out of ten first marriages end in divorce. Seven out of ten first second marriages end in divorce. Eight out of ten third marriages end in divorce. If I walked into the back of a wedding ceremony and said, y'all ain't going to make it, I'd be right six out of ten times. <laughs> and by the way, I have done that. I'm kind of a meme. Like, I was... I was golfing one time, and there was a, a wedding going on, and, you know, they're all happy, and they're walking. I said, welcome to hell. <laughs> uh, of course, the only people that were mad at me were the parents, right? The couple knew. The parents were looking around. I just paid $75,000 for this. What are you saying? I said, yeah, well, you should have gone to a cheaper restaurant, girlfriend. So, anyway, you know, for according to God, There's a lot wrong with sex for hire, but according to us, not much. Prostitution is sex for hire. It's the Greek word porneia. Uh, It it doesn't take a a lot of stretch to understand where we get the word porn from, right? Because people buy sex for hire physically. They buy sex for hire online. The do-it-yourself kind. So let's see what the Apostle Paul has to say about sex for hire in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 12 to 20. Here's what it says. It says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. 1 Corinthians 6.13. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, porneia, but the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. 1 Corinthians 6.14. Now God the Father has not only raised the Lord from the dead, but he will raise us up from the dead through his divine power. 1 Corinthians 6.15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ because we're in union with him? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. 1 Corinthians 6.16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her. For the Lord says the two shall become one flesh. 1 Corinthians 6.17 But the one who joins himself to the Lord instead is one spirit with him. There's your choice. One spirit with the prostitute or one spirit with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.18 What's the solution? Flee sexual immorality. Flee sex for hire. Flee porneia. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man, the one who buys sex for hire, sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is indwelling you, whom you have from God the Father as a gift, and that you are not your own? 1 Corinthians, is that it? 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body.
All right. Six times in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul asks a question. Do you not know? What does that mean? Are you ignorant? Why is he saying that? Didn't I teach you this? See, teachers get really mad when they teach you something and then you do the opposite. And that's what Paul is calling them to task about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He's taught them what to do. They're doing the opposite. He doesn't like it. Do you not know? And the not in there is the Greek word ook, which is the strongest of the negatives. Are you not doing it? That's what he's saying. A group that was well taught, the believers in the Corinthian church, has wandered off the reservation just as we have today. We are off the reservation and we're scratching our heads wondering why our lives don't work. That's the one thing I was thinking about on the way in this morning. So as we go through this whole COVID farce, right, this this communist power grab that's going on where Mazza is telling us when we can come out of our house and when we can't and where we can go and what we got to put on our face. Thank you, Mazza. We're back to the plantation. There are bellwether states in the United States who are the, the predictor states of what's to come. And California has always been a predictor state. Well, California, as I understand it, has a shelter-in-place order indefinitely. And when they start phasing in who can come back, the poor people are going to be the last ones to come back. And then if you just go read Lenin's Communist Manifesto and the eight things you have to do to control a population, every single one of them is in what's happening. Number one thing you have to control if you want to control a populace, what is it? Healthcare. Healthcare. And, and it's so funny because all these things flash back to me when I saw this that I was in Denmark one time and I was in a cab with a buddy of mine and we were talking about health care. And the cab driver jumps in and he says, <laughs> you Americans. Now, when you say you Americans, that's the most offensive thing that you can say to me. I, I don't get offended. But when you say you Americans and I'm not in the country, I'm ready to fight at that moment. That's the drop of the hat. So he says, well, you Americans, <laughs> I don't understand how you handle health care because we have health care that's free. And I said, I don't understand why you Denmark people are so stupid to think your health care is free. You pay 70% of your income in taxes. How you think they're paying for that? They're paying for that. You're paying for that. It's not free. But here's the problem with it. And this is the part that you didn't say. What you didn't say is if tomorrow you need a hip replacement operation and you go to the hospital, they're going to tell you where you are in line and they're going to assess it. And if you're old, you're going to go to the back of the line. So you won't get the hip replacement operation for 18 months. And yeah, it'll be free. But how much pain will you have been in for that 18 months? Stop being stupid. That's offensive. Yeah, you're offensive. Drive us to our destination and shut up. We didn't ask you to butt into our conversation. Yeah, get hit in the back of the head with a shawarma. <laughs> Almost made me drive him by a sandwich and hit him in his head with it. And just people are so stupid. So the California people, you know, they're talking all this crap about, 
you know, if the government would just rob from the rich and give to the poor. Oh, the Robin Hood thing. Yeah. Okay, well, that's what's happening now, right? The government is printing monopoly money and giving it to us in stimulus payments, except not me because I make too much money, so I don't get any stimulus payment, and I get to pay a bonus for my uh, medical coverage because I make too much money. But that's another story. You know, who cares about fairness? But now they're getting all these free, this free money, and what are they doing? They're complaining. Okay, your philosophy was rob for the, from the rich, give to the poor. That's what's happening. You're getting the payments like a poor person. And what are you doing? You're still complaining, which proves that your philosophy, that democratic philosophy, does not work. It's never worked, ever. I grew up in a democratic household in the most democratic city in America, Chicago, Illinois, and I've never seen it work. But nobody will look at the evidence. We're being enslaved. I did not want to go back to the plantation. I've always known that I would not do well in the, on the plantation. I'm not a slave. I can't be one. But that's exactly what's happening to us. Mazza is telling us, running up our debts, taking away our money, controlling our money, controlling our health care, giving us payments that are not enough to pay for anything, and we're sitting here taking it, just like sheep being led to the slaughter, and we're so grateful to Maza. Isn't it great that Maza has given us a little stimulus? But while we're getting our stimulus, we have to stay socially distant. Yeah, you get your stimulus, but stay away from each other. Don't, Don't trust each other. So I can't even get my strawberries. I walk up behind a woman, I'm, I violated the, she, she must have had, you know, one of those backup cameras on her butt. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. So I, I violated the six-foot rule, and now she's turning around yelling at me. She almost got hit in the face. It's like, get out of the way of the strawberries, lady. This is what we got going. <laughs> it's strawberries and shawarmas. That's right, man. I'm hitting them with something. Food fight. So anyway. Uh, we're just silly. As, as human beings, we're just silly. Just the stuff that we think is cool is crazy, and that's the world. But as Christians, we have a whole different thing that we can take advantage of. It's called Christianity, the Christian way of living. And that's what God is teaching us about here. So six times in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul asks, Do you not know? Are you ignorant? And I guarantee you, people know. You do not have to be a brain surgeon to know that if you take in $20,000 a year and you spend forty, that that is not good. You don't have to be smart to know that. My mom, in the best year of her career, made twenty grand, and she knew that. She had an automatic phrase that came out of her mouth. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. What was she saying? It's not going to come out of the 20 grand. We know that. Then we apply for a credit card, and Chase gives us a $20,000 credit card when we make 20 grand a year. And we go, hallelujah, thank you, Massa. And then the next thing you know, you're 20 grand in debt. You can't make the payments on time. And now it's $35 every time you don't make the payment on time, 25% interest. 
Okay. Do you not know? A group that has been taught well has wandered off the reservation in Corinth, just like we wander off the reservation all the time. Oh, but that's okay because there are the debt consolidation loans. Oh, that's okay because you can borrow the equity out of your house and give it back to Mazza. Unbelievable. All right, let's look at these, uh, this passage verse by verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. All things are permissible for me, Paul, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible for me, but I will not be overmastered by anything. See, in God's eyes, and those are the eyes through which we view the world here at Barah Ministries, we don't teach the word of God from man's perspective. We teach the word of God from God's perspective. Why? Because God only has one perspective. If you want to look at life from man's perspective, there are 50,000 different perspectives because man is always trying to shape a perspective that makes his goofy lifestyle okay. And that's what religion is. Religion is Satan's system designed to confuse you, designed to make you indifferent or an antagonistic to God because it makes no sense to focus your eyes on people and not on God. And we love it. Why aren't you going to church? Well, one time this person, how long ago was that? 20 years ago. Wow. Some idiot 20 years ago took you out of play from a relationship with God? Seriously? Let me ask you that. Is, that, is it that person's problem or is it yours? Oh, I'm offended. Yeah, the truth is offensive. So in God's eyes, and those are the eyes we look at things through, sexual immorality, specifically sex for hire, is a very serious sin. The world sees that sin as harmless. Well, that ought to tell you everything about the world. If something that is harmful to you, the world considers it harmless, the world doesn't care about you. There aren't any harmless sins. Sins are always harmful. Even if they affect, the effect on us is not immediately available to our awareness, and that's the problem. When we sin, we've justified why it's okay, but then nothing falls off of our body. You know, if every time we sinned, our arm fell off, that would be great. Right? You say, I'm not doing that again. Why? It was the strangest thing. I like my left arm. So I'm not going to do that again. But that's not what happens. What happens is a termite erosion of your soul, a termite erosion of your standards, a termite erosion of your mentality. You get tired. You sit down. A body at rest tends to remain at rest. And you give up on your life and your dreams because you continually sin and they, the sins erode. Oh, but that's okay, Pastor Rory. You said at the cross that Jesus Christ paid for all our sins, past, present, and future. They were imputed to him and judged. Correct. They're paid for. That's even worse. It's even worse that somebody paid for your sins so that you wouldn't be enslaved in your sins and then you go right back to being back to slavery. Because the slave loves the plantation. Amen. What do you think happened in 1865 or 63, whenever it was, when Lincoln freed the slaves? Yeah, there was confetti everywhere, man. <laughs> and then when the confetti settled, they looked at each other and said, where am I going to get a job? What happened when there was freedom in Russia? What do the Russians say? Okay, now we're a free country, but where do I get my vodka and cheese? 
Well, you got to go work for it. Huh? Well, I think the government ought to keep giving it to us. Because what does a slave want? Slave always wants to be on the plantation. Slave always wants Mazza. Well, how about the Mazza, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to make you free? How about that Mazza? Because that's what Christians want. So sins are always harmful, even if their effect isn't immediately available to our awareness. Well, how do we justify indulging in sex for hire and sexual immorality? We justify it the same way believers in the Corinthian church justified it, with sound bite theology, with short cliche phrases that make what we're doing seem okay. Anything in moderation. That's why we're all fat. Because anything in moderation, <laughs> chuckles in moderation are okay. I'm not telling you, I ate five packages. It's not good. See, the implication anything in moderation is that every once in a while, straying from biblical principles work. Well, how about adultery in moderation? Is that okay? How about murder in moderation? Is that okay? It's not okay. We're lying to ourselves. I'm a free thinker. I'm a free thinker. It infers that sin is okay. Make love, not war. That was a big one from my childhood. Make love, not war. Remember the fl- flowing dresses, the underarm hair, Woodstock, <laughs> one eyebrow, Woodstock, pot, Volkswagen buses, the flower children, and patchouli, which has got to be the funkiest perfume ever invented on the face of the earth. Have you ever smelled patchouli? It smells like marijuana that has rotted for six years. It's the most disgusting thing. A guy who used to come to the church used to wear that all the time, and every time he did, I wanted to be as far away from him as possible. If you remember any of that stuff, you are old. (laughs) The breakdown of the baby boom generation's character began in the 1960s and has continued unabated to this day. Yet this breakdown started in eternity past when Satan, the enemy of God, instigated a rebellion against God that has lasted to this day. And everything that comes from the world and everything that comes from Satan is a rebellion against God. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas The insinuation is that the important people in your life don't know what you're doing because you're being sneaky, and since you're being sneaky, whatever you're doing is okay. But is it? When kids leave the house for the first time, they start singing the song, Yeah, I'm free! Right, Zach? (laughs) He couldn't wait to get out of our house. Yeah, I'm free, but he forgot the last part. Free falling. He forgot about the falling part, didn't you, Zach? Say amen. (laughs) Say amen. (laughs) Don't whisper it, sweet pea. Say amen. (laughs) But I did the same thing. I hadn't cut a class, but when I got to Northwestern, I had never cut a class in high school. As soon as I get to Northwestern, the hardest school on the planet, on quarter system, you're learning a semester's work in one quarter with four of the hardest classes that have ever been created in the history of mankind. I'm now cutting classes. Idiot. Three C's and a D, first quarter. I was an A student. Three C's and a D. You can't cut class. But mom didn't know. 
she knew when I got my report card. So nothing good happens to believers in Christ who take off the yoke that God's standards use to protect us. And that's what God has standards for to protect us. It's the equivalent of playing in traffic on the freeway and expecting not to get hit. There are brothels, hoe houses, brothels in Gilbert, Arizona, disguised as legitimate businesses. <gasps> what? Really? Yeah, I, I can't wait to the break because all y'all going to be up here. Where is it at, man? <laughs> Don't ask me. I'm not telling you. In Phoenix, in Phoenix, cooking classes are hookup spots for swingers. Cooking classes are hookup spots for swingers. What are swingers? Married couples with a sexually immoral sharing of sexual partners' lifestyle frequent cooking classes to have a little innocent fun in their open marriages. Now, their thought is if both of us agree that evil is good, then it's good. I was, I, I, I've been to two cooking classes and I killed it. So one cooking class, the host, the host husband asked me if I wanted some wine. I said, yeah, I want some wine. And he brought me the wine and he said, this is a really good wine. It's called Menage a Trois. And I said, oh, that's cool. I've seen that at Sam's Club. Yeah, it's called Menage a Trois. Yeah, I heard you the first time. Menage a Trois which is a threesome in French. And he just kept saying it. I was like, man, I'm here for a cooking class, all right? Can you teach me how to cook? I went to another cooking class, and this couple, the wife was always in my eye eye shot. Twingers. Yeah. Right here in our respectable little city. The last thing you would expect. I ain't going to no more cooking class. I go cooking class online. <laughs> I pull up Gordon Ramsay and let me teach him for th- let him teach me for 13 minutes online. Amen. I ain't going to no more cooking classes. No way. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul is saying that just because we can do something doesn't mean that it works. It doesn't mean it's profitable for us to do it. God does not want his believers to be mastered by anything or anyone but him. Yet we have free will. We can act independently from God. We have the ability to choose, and we can choose things that are not God's will for us. God doesn't want us to use our free will this way. And like a parent who wants the best for his kids, The Lord doesn't want sex for hire or sexual immorality for us. Lewd, lascivious, and licentious conduct, lust, unrestrained, is not for believers in Christ. It's for unbelievers. And by the way, God doesn't want that conduct for unbelievers either. For as we learned last week, that conduct becomes a lifestyle that can gravitate the unbeliever away from being saved. That's what 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 were all about. You keep engaging in this group of sins, even though they're paid for, as an unbeliever, they will become a lifestyle, 
and it will move you away from the chance to be saved because you're so into that that you're not even paying attention to the gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13 says this. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. And one day, God the Father will do away with both the stomach and food. Your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Put that up, man. Your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. And one day, God will do away with your body. Yet the body is not for sex for hire. Are we to assume that since the body and the stomach and food are going to be destroyed one day, that we can treat them with a lustful attitude, a lascivious attitude? That's what the Corinthians thought. Well, the body's going into the ground. I'm going to get a resurrection body. So what difference does it make what I do with my body while I'm here on earth? It matters a lot. Shall we engage in lustful indulgence because we know we're spending eternity in heaven? Paul would say, may it never be. Yet the Corinthians argued in error that eating and sex are purely natural body functions. They'd argue that stomachs are to be used for food and sex organs are to be used for sex. True. But within the scope of marriage, no big deal, they'd say. You're uptight. Make love, not war. It's all good. It's all good. They argued that abusing their bodies with food and sex is of no consequence since the body's going into the ground at physical death anyway. God doesn't have the same viewpoint. In Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 14, the Lord talks through the Apostle Paul to his believers in Christ and says this, Therefore, all of the things above being true, and that's in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, all those things being true, do, this is a command, the imperative mood in the Greek, do not keep on letting sin reign as if it were the king of your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Obey God, don't obey your lusts. See, that's the problem that we get into as human beings. We're all into our feelings. Why didn't you go to the gym? Well, I didn't feel like it. Okay, don't feel like it and go to the gym. That's 90% of the game. Doesn't even matter what you do once you get there. Just go. Don't let your feelings talk you out of doing what you know is right. Romans 6, 13. And do not, again, the mood of command, imperative mood, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And see, believers in Christ are not unrighteous. We're righteous. So the righteous should not present their body as an instrument of unrighteousness, as an instrument of sin. Instead, present yourselves to God the Father as those spiritually alive from among the dead ones would present themselves and present the members of your body as instruments of righteousness to God the Father. God the Father wants to use you. Ephesians 2.10, he has prepared things for you to do that you would walk in them. All right, so Romans 6.14, for sin shall not be master. Sin shall not be a sovereign Lord over you believers in Christ. Why? Because you believers in Christ are not under sin. You are not under the law. You are under grace. What is grace? It is a geodesic dome. It is a sphere that you can't see, 
that you are surrounded by as a believer in Christ. And in that sphere, there are three types of oxygen. The oxygen of grace, where you're free to make mistakes to learn. The oxygen of unconditional love, where you know that God has nothing against you. And the uh, oxygen of forgiveness, which means all of your sins, past, present, and future have been paid for. That's where he wants you living. But he does not want you to use that freedom against yourself. Amen? Amen. So our bodies are significant to the Lord. Our bodies are indwelled by the entire Trinity. Everywhere you go when you're sinning, the entire Trinity is going with you. If you go into a brothel, you are taking the Trinity in there with you. And that's good for the people that are in there, but not so good for you. So our bodies are a manifestation of the indwelling Trinity, and they are especially a manifestation of the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So defacing and degrading our bodies defaces and degrades Christ. And Paul would argue that what is permissible for believers are those things that reflect the character of the Lord. If what you are doing with your body in secret were published on the front page of the New York Times, would you be proud of what you have accomplished? Don't bother ask, answering the question because there's only one answer, and it's no. If what you're doing reflects God's control of your life, it's permissible. If what you are doing reflects Satan's control of your life, you may want to rethink it. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 says this, you shall not worship or serve idols. And when you sin, whatever sin you're committing, you're making that thing an idol in your life. Is it money? Is it sex? Is it food? Chuckles are my idol. Amen? (laughs) Except the licorice one. I don't like the licorice one, but I have to eat it. But then I don't have to eat it, do I? I could just throw it in the garbage. All right. That'll take it down to 120 calories. You shall not worship or serve idols, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Oh, no, you didn't go back to the Old Testament, boyfriend. Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) Yeah, all the Pentecostals. Amen. I'm a church-age believer, but let's go back to the age of Israel. It's great. Paul wants us, see, the slaves got to go back to the plantation, amen? Uh, You don't want none of that grace. Let's get back under the law. Paul wants us to be the slave of the one who owns us, Christ. He doesn't want us to be slaves of unrighteousness. Well, when we return from our five-minute breaks, we'll take your offering, and then we'll continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 14 where Paul reminds the believers at Corinth of their eternal destiny. Take a five-minute break. (laughs) Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quite. We'll all never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? What's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich as the Lord, God the Son, deity, yet for your sake he became poor, taking on human form as Jesus Christ, so that through his poverty, the shedding his blood and dying on the cross, you might become rich, being reconciled to God the Father, and being offered a so great salvation. Giving is an act of worship. When you give, when you get your stimulus checks, remember that Barah Ministries can use a little stimulus too, amen? <laughs> and you're the one who can provide it. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. I'm Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Bra Ministries, which is a worldwide Christian church. And it's a place where, where real people can listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And some of you may have noticed I cut my hair. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I figure, you know, we look outside and, you know, the world is saying it's the end of the world. And that, you know, everybody, the man, man is saying that, you know, we can't possibly survive this and that it's going to be end. you know, everything's ending. So I figured I might as well cut my hair and look like a movie star it's the end of the world i look like you know maybe i can save the day or you know i can help everybody right you know like what do you think jason statham bruce willis, bruce willis. <laughs> the rock, the rock. <laughs> <laughs> i was hoping vin diesel because he's you know he's pretty bad he's pretty tough but you know as christians we know having faith in one man for salvation or in faith in man for salvation is silly because I can't save you. There's only one man that can save you, and Jesus Christ. And it's kind of like I see these people with these masks on everywhere. It's this false sense of security in man. I saw this guy, he's wearing a mask, and he reaches down and picks up a cigarette off the ground and puts it in his pocket. <laughs> Come on, man. And then I see this guy, he's got a beard on, and he's got a mask. It's like, everything's just going under your beard. It, it, that's not how it works. And I saw a lady, she just had it down across her mouth, but her nose was exposed. And people are walking around with this false sense of security, like that's going to help you. Like, oh, I'm doing, I'm staying home, I'm going to be safe. I've got a mask on, I'm going to be safe. But isn't that just faith in man? Faith in doc- like one doctor? They socialized our medicine in one step. We're listening to one doctor and he's given the whole country what to, the mandates what to do. It's insane. And I think trusting in man is not the way to go. So let's go back to the Old Testament and see what it has to say about that. We see in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart simultaneously turns away from the Lord. Because if you trust in man, you're not thinking about the Lord. You're not thinking about his perspective on a daily basis. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. And that's who we are and that's why we're here, because we trust in the Lord. And so in in the very same way, you know, why would you trust your money with men? Why would you trust your money with man's will versus God's will? And so you know when you give to Broad Ministries, you're trusting in God's will. And that money will, will be used supernaturally through God. Not just out there by, you know, buying masks and toilet paper. It's going to be used to, to give the gospel around the world. It's going to be used to build a contact center where everybody can come and experience it for free. Because we give w- without reluctance. We give because we know God gives to us. And so just remember that when you're giving here, it's giving for God's will and not for man's will. And we don't have a false hope here. We're not thinking that I'm going to save the day and crawl through the ducks and get us out of here. 
There's only one, one man that can get us out of here, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you very much. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, what's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? What's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? Hey, Deacon Denny, I was thinking Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> missed that one, but that's all right. So what's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? According to God, everything. According to mankind, nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this, Now God the Father has not only raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, but he will raise us believers in Christ up from the dead through his divine power, omnipotence. Our resurrection as believers in Christ is tied to the Lord's resurrection. We are in union with Christ. We were placed into union with Christ at the moment of salvation, and we can't get out. That cord, I, that cord is killing me right now. I can't. Well, I'm trying to tuck it inside my my coat because it looks kind of goofy hanging out, but it keeps coming out. I don't know what it is. But anyway, our our resurrection as believers in Christ is tied to the Lord's resurrection because we're in union with Christ, and we can't get out at the moment of salvation through the baptism of God the Holy Spirit, the only baptism that really matters. You don't get saved because somebody poured oily water on you or dunked you in a nasty river. It, God the Holy Spirit places you into union with Christ, and you can't ever get out. Why can't you get out? Because you didn't do it. God did it, and he never changes his mind once he does a thing. So that's supernatural, not natural. It's accomplished by God, not by us. And therefore, our bodily experience needs to be supernatural as well, not natural. Believers are not to hand their bodies over to the enemy for desecration. Based on our union with Christ, we are a new creation and we have a new spiritual relationship with God. So it follows that the Lord expects us to have a new bodily relationship with others 
and a new bodily relationship with ourselves. For example, the new bodily relationship would not include fornication, which is premarital sex, adultery, which is sex when you're married with somebody who is not your spouse, pederasty, sex with children, pornography, do-it-yourself sex by watching uh, sexual acts on the Internet, prostitution, sex for hire, swinging, which is being married and having sex with other married couples or with single people, bestiology, having sex with animals, orgies, multiple people in a sexual experience, homosexuality, same-sex sex, changing gender, or any of the other perversions Satan and his kingdom of death and darkness sponsor. See, and as a pastor, you can't get up and talk about this if you're a sellout because you're worried about whether people will stay in your congregation or not because they didn't like it that you didn't tickle their ears. But what do you think it's like to be a pastor? I don't think anybody ever considers what it's like to be a pastor because we sin. And every day I'm studying the Bible, and every day I'm taking a beating if the the thing that is being talked about that is God's standard is something that I'm doing that I like. Right? So you want to talk about offended, I should be first and foremost the one that's offended because I spend more time in the truth than you do. I'm always hearing the truth. So I'm the one that ought to be offended. You shouldn't even get offended. You just hear it for two hours a week. Amen? We got to stop being offended. We have to want to learn. And what we want to learn is the things that are beneficial to us. And, And human nature is, whenever we hear something that's beneficial to us, we don't want anything to do with it. Unless we're desperate. You know, you go to the doctor, the doctor says, hey, if you don't quit smoking, you only got six months to live. And you say to the doctor, well, if I only have six months to live, I don't have to pay the bill. He said, okay, well, you got a year. (laughs) So, new relationship with God, new relationship with others, new relationship with self. Anything that Satan, the enemy of God, offers is a perversion and a lie, and we should stay as far away from it as we can. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Here's Paul again with the ookin. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ in union with him? Shall I then take away the members of Christ from his possession and make them members of a prostitute? letting them become one flesh with evil. That's what's referenced here, too. Here, not just sex for hire, but sex with evil. Well, Paul says, may it never be. This is unimaginable. You don't leave your union with Christ, break away from Christ, and go give yourself to the devil. And by the way, God would never let you do that. So whenever you give yourself to the devil's schemes, he's right there with you. The entire trinity are right there with you, protecting you from getting hurled headlong. He won't let you hurt yourself like that. Do you not know that your... Oh, I read that whole thing. All right. So 1 Corinthians 6.15, what does it mean? God does not want us to consort with evil. And evil is depicted in verse 15 as a prostitute. 
and ruler of the the as ruler of the universe and ruler of our lives god wants us god wants to determine how our body is used and it is simply for us to use our free will to let him rule and as i was going through this i said god look everything that is being talked about here and all throughout the bible that is sin any of those things that i'm doing I think there is ample evidence that I am not able to stop doing that on my own. Amen? And as a matter of fact, Father, I think you set the game up that way. Because you wanted us to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, take over. What is that? Submission. I'm the vice president in that relationship. I am not president in my relationship with God. I am submission to God. And that is not a weak relationship. Like Satan always tells women that being submission to your husband is weak. It is not weak. It's strong. And I know women who have been with men for 45 years knowing that their husband is having sex with everybody. And they stayed right there. And what do we call them? We call them stupid. As opposed to strong. You're not doing your job, man. I'm going to do my job. That's a woman. Amen? Well, why? Because she's living her life as unto the Lord and not unto men. And those are the women, all of us are calling stupid, who in heaven are going to have rewards out the wazoo. And we're going to be going, how did that happen? Yeah, how did that happen? Because that's how God is. So God doesn't want us consorting with evil. He wants to be the ruler of our lives. Psalm 109, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, darkness and light are not and cannot ever be partners. When dark is here, light is not. When light is here, dark is not. But what dark seeks to do is to eradicate the light. That's what happens typically to women who are all enamored with an unbeliever man and marry him. A believer woman gets enamored with an unbeliever man and marries him. And what happens? Do they bring him to the light? Yeah, once in a while. But most times, no. He darkens her up. But the Lord sanctifies that relationship. And that's amazing. And we'll be talking about that coming up. So when we sin as believers in Christ, we make our light darkness. We extinguish our reflection of the indwelling Trinity and the indwelling Christ. You see, believers in Christ have a symbiotic relationship with the Lord. What is symbiosis? It's a relationship where two organisms, between two organisms, where damage to one does damage to both. It's a relationship between two organisms where damage to one does, does damage to both. That's our relationship with Christ. 
It's symbiotic. Since no one can damage the Lord, though, it's always us consorting with prostitutes, the prostitute called evil in this case, that does damage to us. God is always having to repair us from going out and being goofy. But he's always there to repair us. Sex for hire defiles every part of a human being. It does not merely defile the body. Using a prostitute is not a victimless crime. It defiles the union with the Lord. It is physical and spiritual adultery. I actually wrote out 15 things that are wrong with visiting a prostitute. And I'll share those with you next week. But I realized that all of those things were human viewpoint. Because God works in ones. And there's one thing that God thinks about why sex for hire doesn't work. I'll share that with you next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Or do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. What does that mean? The two shall be fused. Here's the thing when couples live together. I was talking to a couple who's going to be getting married in a little bit, and I asked them, do you live together? They do. I said, did you know that you are 38% more likely to get divorced because you live together? They were in shock. They thought they misheard me. They thought I said that they were 38% more likely to stay together because they had lived together. Because what do people do when they're living together? They justify, oh, why should we pay two rents? And, you know, oh, we'll just, then we can test out whether we want to be together and all that crap. No, here's what happens. The two are two flesh. And Satan says, good, they're separate. Then the minute they get married, the two become one flesh. They get fused. And then what happens? Satan says, I don't like unity. Kill it. He comes in the back door through the woman, just like he did in the garden, the snake. And all of a sudden, you know, about a year into the the marriage, you go up to him and you say, hey, you guys lived together before you got married, right? Yeah. What changed when you got married? Everything. And they don't even know why they're saying that. They're saying it because they started getting attacked. Because they were in unity. Because they were fused. What God has joined, let no man put asunder. Let no man separate. Satan doesn't listen to that. He, he tries to separate and then he finds people to try to separate. And that's what adultery is. Break the union. For what? For what? For three seconds? For what? And we just go there. <laughs> wow. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become fused. Consorting with a prostitute is a marriage ceremony where no wedding vows are exchanged. Do you understand? The two become one, but they haven't made any vows to each other. Each party is deceived into thinking it's a casual fling, but when the two are apart from each other, they continue to be in each other's thoughts. 
For example, a married guy who buys sex for hire goes back to his wife, but who's he thinking about? The prostitute. The prostitute goes back to her husband, but who is she thinking about? The other guy. And doing a mental comparison, because women are mental comparers. I take a woman out to dinner, it just drives me crazy sometimes, because you take her to a restaurant, and she... Well, this, is, this isn't as good as that other restaurant. Stop comparing. This is, ribs and Chinese food are different. <laughs> you can't compare them. Cut it out. <laughs> Amen? But that's what we do. That's what happens. That's the phenomenon that happens here. This comparison starts going on. You can't get the other person out of your mind. It's horrible for us. Relations with prostitutes constitute an entanglement, a web of defilement that it's nearly impossible to shake. And I don't know whether you know what being defiled means, but in the ancient world, and the Bible has to be interpreted in the time it was written, if you were defiled, you were walking along the street when somebody upstairs had just dumped their chamber pot over the balcony because there were no bathrooms. So they had a chamber pot. When the chamber pot would get filled with excrement, they would dump it over the balcony. And if you were in the wrong place at the right time, you were defiled. That's what that means. That's exactly what we do to our lives. When we get into an entanglement with a sex for hire scheme, it's a web of defilement that is nearly impossible to shake. And if it weren't for the power of God, we couldn't shake it. Engaging in sex for hire is the ultimate violation of our relationship with Christ. It is spiritual adultery. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6 says this, Do not give what is holy, sacred things like your body, to dogs, those who are unholy. The Jewish people hated dogs. And if you ever go to Israel, you'll figure out why, because they are so mangy over there. They don't treat dogs the same way we do. We take a dog to get pedicure. We take a dog to get pedicured. We take them out in the snow. We put boots on them and stuff. It's not like that over in Israel. <laughs> so do not give what is holy, sacred things like your body to dogs, those who are unholy. And do not throw your pearls, a sacred thing, before swine, pigs. And they were also hated and filthy animals to the Jews. Or the pigs will trample the pearls under their feet, and the dog will turn and tear you to pieces. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. In contrast, the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. See, God, God! 21 years as a Roman Catholic, 29 years in in systematic theology, 21 years in sin, 21 years in the law to find out how easy grace is. The life with God is so easy. Everything with God is just one thing. Father, I believe in Christ. You're saved once and for all. You mean if I go kill 5,000 people right now, I'm still saved? Yes. You're going to go to prison, though. You're going to meet Bubba. It's not going to be good for you. So don't do it. Okay, it's a good idea. Man, God, you really have my best interests in mind. I do. So simple. It takes so long to learn how simple 
It is the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. One spirit with him. We are to cleave. That is to have sexual intercourse. Exclusively to Christ. Delight yourself in the Lord. Have sex with the Lord. Be one with the Lord. Fuse to the Lord. That's what he did. See, this is amazing. He knew that all of his angels fell. And so when he came up with the solution program, he came up with the program where we could never lose again if we decided to come back to him. It's amazing. So simple. So the only response to sex for hire? Run! 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee immorality, porneia, sex for hire. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body except for the sex for hire a man commits that sins against his own body. Sex for hire leaves a filthy stain on the body and on the mind. Sex for hire ruins the chance for intimacy. It robs a person of love and commitment. It is dehumanizing. The sex for hire sin is a sin against the self. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Or do you not know that your body is a temple, it's a shrine, of God the Holy Spirit who's indwelling you to make a shrine for God the Father and God the Son, believers in Christ, whom you have from God the Father, the Spirit, and that you are not your own. What does that mean, you are not your own? Slavery and slave trafficking were huge in Corinth. People were the possessions of the wealthy. But the Lord has property rights over his believers in Christ. When you believe in Christ, you are no longer your own. You are a possession of the Lord. Our entire being belongs to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, for you believers in Christ have been bought with a price. The word that indicates that you've been bought with a price is redeemed. You were purchased from slavery. You were redeemed. Therefore, glorify God in your body, not just with your soul, not just with your spirit, with your body too. Because God is not a partial God. He's an all God. What does he want? All your mind, all your soul, all your heart, all your strength, all the time. What's wrong with visiting a prostitute now and then? Everything. Anything you do to prostitute yourself to evil constitutes sex for hire. And God encourages us to run from evil. And we need to listen. If you are a parent, you know the messages that you are sending to your kids. I, I was thinking this week about my mom, because Mother's Day is coming up. And I was thinking, you know what? My mom never once yelled at me. I don't ever remember her once yelling at me. But you know what she always did? She warned me. She was always warning me. But she didn't have to yell at me. Because I was listening to her. And I, I wrote out a list of all the warnings. It's a 722-page book. <laughs> <laughs> Being published soon. It'll be on the New York Times bestseller list. She was more all the time. Like, warning, 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 warning. 
we need to listen because God's warning us to. All right, the closing moments of our lesson are what the closing moments of our lesson always are. It's a reminder to you that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. So the closing moments of the study are for the benefit of anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. Nobody who comes to Barah Ministries will ever leave saying they don't know how to get to heaven. Because I'm about to tell you how to get to heaven. What do you believe about God? Many people have beliefs about God. A belief is an opinion or a conviction or a confidence in the existence of something that does not seem provable. Everything with God is provable. There's no need to have blind faith with God. Because faith is you putting your confidence in something that you have examined. And God reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. And if he didn't, then he wouldn't be worth worshiping. Satan, the enemy of God, prefers that we have beliefs because he knows that there's a big difference between beliefs and truth. Only when your beliefs are the same as the truth are your beliefs significant. Satan hates the truth. He can't handle the truth. What many people believe is that they can impress God so much that he will let them into heaven because of their good deeds and religious practices. So we give money to beggars. They give food to the homeless. They are actively involved in community projects. They generously donate their time, talent, and treasure to charitable organizations. They give back. You've heard that term, give back, used countless times. People who give back usually are convinced that they're basically good people and that they're impressive to God because they give back. And many think they're so good that after they die, God will reward them by letting them into heaven for their good deeds. That is not how you get to heaven. The Bible tells a completely different story. Titus chapter 3 Verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and through renewing by God the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, For by God's grace you have been saved, through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It is a gift from the source of God. So being saved is not as a result of your works, deeds you've done in self-righteousness, so that no one may boast about saving himself. One thing you would never want is to put the burden of your salvation in your own hands, on your own back. So if you can't get into heaven from doing good deeds, what is the truth about how to get God to let you in heaven? Well, the one way to get to heaven The only way to get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Amen? The Apostle Paul describes this amazing Messiah, the Christ, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
verses 3 and 4, which says this, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. It is wise to let God save you because God is immutable. And once God does something, it cannot be undone. Once God opens the door, it cannot be shut. And God never changes his mind. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. Eternal life is not a future event. It's an instant event when you believe in Christ. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. When we choose to believe that Jesus Christ is God, it is much more than a belief. It is the absolute truth. And when we choose to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, it is more than a belief. It is the absolute truth. So how can you get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 say this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, your admission ticket to heaven. You want to get into heaven? You have to be righteous. The only way to be righteous after you sin is to have that righteousness given to you as a gift, that righteousness given to you as a gift by God. And with the mouth, a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone. And that results in salvation. So, Acts 16, 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believe. John chapter 3, verse 17 says this, God the Father did not send God the Son, the Lord, who took on human form as Jesus Christ, into the world to judge the world. But God the Father sent God the Son into the world that the world might be saved through believing in him. So take the free gift of eternal life right this moment. There's no time to waste. God wants you. It is a three-second conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. That's the moment of eternal life for you. Or what did the thief say on the cross? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Nine words that cause this response in the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Why bother working for your salvation with good deeds when it's a free gift? Let the Lord Jesus Christ work at the cross. Give back to you. Well, let's close with some music. One thing we know about the Lord is he is not prejudiced. During Christ's time on earth, members of the Jewish race wanted nothing to do with Samaritans. In addition, the normal prejudices of the day prohibited public conversation between men and women, and especially between Jewish men and Samaritan women. And Jesus had no regard for these conventions. When his disciples had gone into town to purchase some food, Jesus had a conversation near a well with a Samaritan woman, recorded by John in his letter, chapter 4. Here's an excerpt from the conversation. John chapter 4, verses 25 to 29. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, 
he who is called the Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. John 4.26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, the Jewish Messiah. John 4.27, at this point his disciples came back from shopping and they were stunned that he had been speaking with a Samaritan woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? John chapter 4, verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men of the Samaritan region, come see a man who told me all the things that I have ever done. That is not the Christ, the Messiah, is it? Speaking to men, she was rather indirect in her approach, knowing that the men would probably not pay attention to her. But the story highlights that we have a Messiah who values us, no matter who we are and no matter what we have done. Here's June Murphy to sing about this woman and that truth in one of her most beautiful song creations, Come See a Man. Most of my life I felt like a woman, a woman of ill repute. For the things that I've done and what was done to me, I felt I was of no
Almighty God and Father, we just thank you very much for setting us free. And it was through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you set us free so that we could stand fast in that freedom and never again be entangled in the yoke of slavery. And I pray for the people who are listening to this message. I pray that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and that we place our confidence in him and not in man. I pray that we don't lose ourselves in the midst of all the chaos that's going on in the world and we remember that as believers in Christ we have the victory and that we are overcomers and that overcoming has already occurred and that victory has already occurred. 
And I pray that we don't lose our sense of freedom and our desire, our deep-seated desire for freedom, to be able to make our own choices and to make our own way in the world. I pray that we don't succumb to the idea that Mazza is going to rescue us somehow because the only Mazza that has ever rescued us is your son, our Lord, who went to the cross and shed blood to rescue us. Any rescuer rescues that way by shedding blood and laying down his life. And that's what Christ did, and that is not what anyone else on this earth is doing for us. And so as we go forward this week, putting one foot in front of the other as we endure the tribulation that you've placed before us and that you allow, because everything must come through your hand, Father. We just pray that we keep our attitudes positive, we keep our our hearts buoyed by the hope of the glory that is to be ours both in this life and in the life to come. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. And thanks for listening.